This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Future Award-winning Analytics Podcast is brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service at less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS. Pulse has you covered nationwide in the U.S. with unlimited talk and text, premium fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage and no additional costs in all 50 states, as well as the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. You don't want to buy a new phone. You want to keep your old one. You almost certainly can. If you don't want to have a new phone number, you want to keep your old one, you definitely can. There are no credit checks. There's no contracts, no overage costs. Go visit PulseCellular.com. Check out their plans. As a bonus, put in promo code Moran on any online order, and you'll receive another 10% off the price of a phone or a plan each and every single month. I'm telling you, you can't beat it. Find out for yourself. What more and more people are finding out each and every single day, and that is life is better with Pulse. Today's episode is also brought to you by Matt Cundell voiceovers. Matt Cundell started voicing radio ads in the 1990s. As his career progressed, he began to branch out into voice work for television, films, working with e-learning companies and voice illusion groups. By 2015, he started working in voice full-time, and Matt's been killing it ever since. Matt's now president of the Sound Off Media Company. If you need television, radio, online videos, podcasts, telephone, corporate narrations, you name it, Matt Cundell is your guy. I've used Matt's voice for stuff on multiple occasions. I've been happy each and every single time. You will as well. Go to mattcundell.ca for more information. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome to episode 157 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented today by our friends over at Paul Cellular, as well as Matt Cunnell voiceover. Today is Tuesday, October 1st, brand new month. Happy October, everyone. Thank you as always for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. We are literally available on every significant podcasting platform out there. Coming up on today's episode I got a nice twin billing of guests. First up, I'll be having Lance Lazowski, Buffalo Sabres beat writer over 
at the Buffalo News. He's going to join me, and we're going to bang out a really good Buffalo Sabres season preview. Things are getting started Thursday night for Buffalo. Regular season begins, and Lance will get you up to speed, get you primed for the season. We'll talk about some of the moves the team made this summer, perhaps equally important, some of the moves that they did not. We'll talk about some line combinations, some moves that were made just literally in the past 24 hours to get the roster down to size, ready to begin the season. Also, I'll spend a little bit of time talking to Lance about his insane first year covering the team last year. Not everyone remembers this or even knows this, but Lance didn't join the Buffalo News until last season's Last uh, Buffalo Sabres season had already started. In fact, he came aboard in early November while the Sabres were starting that 10-game winning streak. I talked to him about what a whirlwind that was, especially considering it was his first NHL beat, not to mention the fact he'd literally never even been in Buffalo before interviewing for the job a short time before that. Talk about his process of getting acclimated to the city, all that stuff. And we'll also hit on an event that the Buffalo News has going on Tonight, actually, Tuesday night, a hockey Q&A for fans in person with Lance and my buddy Mike Harrington. Pretty cool stuff. I'll have those details for you during that interview. After that, I'm going to be joined by my buddy Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. We'll break down and put a wrap on the Buffalo Bills, disheartening or encouraging, I guess, depending on what your perspective is. A 16-10 loss to the New England Patriots, a game where... The defense utterly dominated Tom Brady. They made him look like a journeyman quarterback out there. But, of course, it all went for naught because bad Josh Allen showed up as well as bad special teams. And that's what happens, especially when you play the Patriots. Obviously, we'll talk about Josh Allen a lot. And look, you can tell me he's young all you want until you're blue in the face. But you got to take care of the football in the NFL. That's the bottom line. It's becoming very obvious to me that there's good Josh Allen who can beat you physically. He can make plays with his arms and his legs that make you marvel that few, maybe no other quarterbacks in the NFL could do. But then there's bad Josh Allen. He's that guy who will lose you games with mental lapses, bad breakdowns, terrible decisions. And unfortunately, the latter happened on Sunday. And it's largely why Buffalo's 3-1 and right now instead of 4-0. and It is what it is. So we'll talk Josh. We'll talk special teams. An offensive line that had a really awful go at it with pass protection, at least on Sunday, and penalties as well, especially if you want to include tight end Lee Smith, who's basically a pass blocker or a run blocker and had four penalties himself. And we'll talk about how the defense literally kept them in the game anyway, despite all the mistakes on special teams and all the mistakes on offense. That defense just kept coming out and punching the New England offense right in the mouth. It was really special to see. So, We'll talk about all that stuff. And then near the end of the podcast, I'm going to have some takes on around the league NFL stuff, MLB playoffs getting underway this week, and also a historic week coming up for wrestling fans and marks like myself. So I'll have takes on all that stuff. Two quality guests. Don't want to waste any more time here right at the top. Let's just get right after it. Here it is, my chat with Lance Lazowski of the Buffalo News, followed immediately by Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Let's do it. All right, my guest today is the Buffalo Sabres beat writer over at the Buffalo News, beginning his second year covering the team. Thought he did a fantastic job in his rookie campaign. I quickly 
became a fan of his. I am talking, of course, about Lance Lazowski. What's going on, Lance? How you doing, buddy? Doing well, doing well. Getting ready for this thing to start. It's, it's nice to actually cover training camp this time around. I think a lot of people forget I, I didn't show up until November last year, second game of the winning streak. So it was just kind of got thrown into it. Now it's, you know, you, now you have relationships. It makes the job a little bit easier. You're like a seasoned vet now compared to last year. It's <laughs> kind of crazy. We'll talk about the Sabres and I'm going to hit on your first year covering the team in just a minute. But before that, though, I want you to tell listeners more about the Buffalo News thing that's going on tonight, Tuesday night. It's downtown at the Buffalo News building, downtown Buffalo Hockey Preview Night, featuring a Q&A with both yourself and Mike Harrington, free to fans who are subscribers to the Buffalo News, $10 for anyone else, free parking, light refreshments, and the Q&A starts around 6.30 p.m. You looking forward to this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's always great to interact with readers. You know, you see them around the arena, whether it's Harbor Center or, or Key Bank. A good way just to, to finally put some faces to names on Twitter or people I've interacted with during uh, my weekly Facebook Lives I've been doing, which have been a nice success. So, uh, yeah, 630. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where, especially for me, I mean, I think a lot of people in this town, they know Mike, but I'm still sort of the new guy. A lot of people don't even know the heck I am because – in Buffalo in particular, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of the people who, you know, have been the voices on certain beats, whether it's, you know, Jay Skirsky or, or Vic on on the Bills. The, our readers are really familiar with those with those guys. So it's nice for me to to finally, you know, get to introduce myself. They see my name in the paper on the website, but, you know, if they're not on Twitter, they don't know who the heck I am. So, yeah, uh, a nice opportunity to talk talk some hockey, you know, ahead of the season. I'd love to have everybody there. And if you're not a subscriber and, and you know, you don't want to pay the maybe the $10, we have some really good deals for, for online subscriptions that you can look into. So no question about it. And I think it's really cool. You know, it's one thing to have interactivity with fans on social media like Twitter or when you do your Facebook chats, I think those are cool. But it's like next level stuff. And kudos to the Buffalo News for doing this giving hockey fans an opportunity to come downtown and actually physically meet yourself and Mike Harrington and have a Q&A session about the team. I really think that that's good stuff, and I hope that hockey fans everywhere come downtown on Tuesday night and take advantage of that. Before we get into the team, talk about your first year covering the Buffalo Sabres. You alluded to this just a minute ago. It's not like you had the benefit of a training camp or anything like that. You quite literally were thrown into the fire covering his team. And on top of that, previously to get covering the Sabres, you had never covered an NHL beat before. Absolutely. Honestly, the, the different sport wasn't a big deal. I mean, that's the one thing you can kind of control on your own. I read the CBA before I moved to Buffalo, read the NHL CBA, that is. You research the team, you read everything that, that Mike had written up to that point. I knew the league. I followed the NHL closely. I grew up watching the sport. A lot of it, though, is just it's just kind of doing it right. I mean, the first game I covered was a, a shootout win, second game of the winning streak. Uh, the elevator at Key Bank Center didn't even work. So you're kind of really your heads, you know, you're just trying to stay above water, right? You're trying to learn, you're trying to meet players, you're trying to get on a first name base with a coach and a general manager, building relationships. Plus, I mean, you're in a new city. I had never even been to Buffalo before, uh, before I interviewed for the job. Didn't know really anything about the city. So, you know, you move, you uproot your life. But, you know, having Mike as a, was just an incredible resource. I mean, Mike knows everything about the Sabres, you know, since the, the franchise started 50 years ago. A lot of just the basic day-to-day stuff. Plus, I have really, really great editors and Josh Barnett and Steve Trosky, who, you know, 
really helped me through, you know, the, the early, I guess, growing pains of just covering, you know, a different sport uh, until you do it, until you start getting rolling here as a beat writer, it takes a little time, but now, uh, as I alluded to earlier, you know, getting into the second season, having a training camp, having, you know, written a heck of a lot about this team. Now you, you feel a little bit more comfortable. I, I, I know <laughs> I can answer questions, you know, almost with a, an educated opinion on like I was able to do right when I showed up. So I'm really excited, really excited for year two. I'm hoping to, to, to take that next step and really build off of what I was able to do uh, in my first year covering the team. Well, I'll tell you the best compliment I think I could give you. And I've spoken with Josh on this podcast, as well as Mike a couple of times on this podcast is I would have never known that you, would, it felt to me like you were covering the Sabres for the last 10 years. You stepped right in. I don't think the Buffalo News, in terms of its hockey coverage, missed a beat at all. And obviously, last year was a very turbulent year for the Buffalo News. A lot of turnover, a lot of change, some of it untimely. And like I said, you coming in under certain circumstances, not till November. I don't think you missed a beat at all with the coverage. But in terms of getting away from hockey, how long did it take you to feel like you were starting to get acclimated to actually living in Buffalo? Like you said, you had never been in Buffalo in your life before interviewing for the job. What was that process like for you? You know, getting to know your colleagues at the Buffalo News, getting to know some guys and ladies from the other local media outlets as well. Uh, the whole media part of it, meeting people around town, either the ones I work with or, you know, at the television stations or the other news outlets, that's easy. You know, you go to the rink, you say hi to each other, you start to build up a rapport, ended up, you know, making friends. But honestly, in terms of getting settled into Buffalo and this actually feeling like a home, it didn't happen until this summer, you know, because during the season, you know, Based on when I started and the just when you're covering this and it's my first season, I, I really wanted to be there for, you know, days off. I go to practices, you know, you, you try to, to really stay engaged as much as you can because I, I was playing catch up, you know, right. there wasn't a whole lot of time to, to socialize in my mind. You know, I, I moved here to do a job and I moved it, moved here to do a job really well. And to do that, I felt like I had to completely immerse myself. So this summer when I was able to finally take a step back and, and meet more people, I guess, away from, <laughs> away from work. That's when you, you kind of, you get to know Buffalo, you get to see, you know, the outer Harbor, a lot of the different things that this city has to offer that you don't hear about as somebody who, you know, when I was living in Pittsburgh, you only hear about the snow in Buffalo, but honestly, the summer here, I mean, it's incredible weather. I'm finally experiencing what fall is like. Cause November, I think the winter was already sort of, a little underway when I got here last year. So I really fell in love with the city. Uh, I love it. I understand why so many people who are from here choose to stay and ones who move here, uh, obviously choose to, to settle down and you know, develop some roots. Yeah. And guys like me who grew up there and leave end up regretting it afterwards <laughs> and taking it for granted <laughs> you know, when you live there. It's an easy city to take for granted when you live there because you could feel like nothing ever happens if you're there your whole life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but when you, that. when you leave, you kind of miss that. You miss that sense of community. I really do. I miss it a lot. I didn't think I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I lived there for 45 years, man. And I couldn't get out of there fast enough three years ago. Now I look forward more than anything else in the world. Every opportunity I get to come back to Buffalo. And I think you, sometimes maybe you got to leave or live somewhere else to really be able to appreciate it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I went back to Pittsburgh over the weekend for their final preseason game. Of course, I, I lived in Pittsburgh for five years, have a lot of friends there, a lot of people. It's nice to see. Those people I hadn't, you know, it hadn't really, you know, talked to in a couple of months, but 
walking around downtown Pittsburgh the entire time I was telling myself, I just can't wait to get back to Buffalo, whether it's, you know, the traffic getting into Pittsburgh or just, you know, it's, it's not easy to get as, as easy to get around. in. so that's, you really notice the difference. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's talk a little Sabres here. And this is where I want to start. Maybe it's a hard question for you to answer because you haven't been around for other Sabre preseasons and other Sabre off seasons. So you don't really have the parameter to really gauge compared to other years, but you get a sense that fans aren't that excited right now. Or maybe excited is not the right word. Fans aren't that confident. I should say in this team going into the season that although they were busy, I mean, there's no denying it. Batra was busy during the off season. Not sure that they did enough to really get fans enthusiastic in terms of thinking that this team is ready to become a legitimate playoff contender right now or a playoff team. I'll tell you what, Pat. I think there's a healthy amount of skepticism. And I understand it. You look at what these fans have been through over the past decade. It's got to be really tough. And not only the past decade, as I was researching for our 50th anniversary section, which will drop Wednesday in print, you kind of realize how much this city has been through, how much these fans have been through, whether it's the bankruptcy years, whether you know we can throw the tank in. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong. And finally, last season, they got some hope with the winning streak, okay? And they've got a, a roster that they know is talented. Fans know that this team has the, a foundation unlike any it's had you know, in quite a few years now, probably, probably a decade, we'll, we'll say that. So it can be kind of teasing and they just don't want to get their hopes up because they don't want to get heartbroken again like they did last year with the winning streak and how it inevitably failed. So not enough was changed, I think. Well, Jason Barrel did, I thought, him and his management team did a really nice job building depth this offseason, which is something they hadn't had since he got here. Uh, they seem to have rebound a little, rebounded a little bit after the Ryan O'Reilly trades or recouped some talent. I like Yogi Haru. I like Colin Miller. I like a lot of the guys they brought in Marcus Johansson. I just don't think they're there yet. Right. I, I think that they, they need a little bit more time. I, I just think they're going to be better. They're, they're going to be an improved team. It's just going to take time with, with Kruger and new coaching staff. And there are some holes in that lineup, especially after you know, they sent Tage Thompson down and they're going to roll with some of the familiar faces in that bottom six, like Zemgus Gergensen, Johan Larson and Vladimir Sabotka. Yeah. I feel like, there might be a sense of disappointment from fans, maybe some media too, because of that. And and you hit the nail on the head with some of these moves. Botcher was definitely busy this offseason. They traded for Colin Miller, the Yakuhiro trade, um, Jimmy VC. They did sign Johansson. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like the Cousins draft pick. They got the Skinner done deal or the deal done too, which is a big deal. But there's still, like you said, there's uninspiring leftovers that are still on this roster that to me are just so symbolic of the failures of this team. Guys like Scandella. And Zaboka, Gergesons, Larson more specifically. Are you surprised? Not, I don't think that they realistically could have got rid of all of them, but I would have thought at least one or two of them via maybe a trade, a throw-in in a trade or a wave or, or buyout or something like that, that they could have gotten rid of some of them. But yet we're on the eve of the season right now and all four of them are still here. Yeah, the two that really surprised me are Gergensen and Larson. The They didn't contribute anything offensively. Yeah, you can kind of chalk it up to how they were used, but 
I'm sorry, fourth line players are going to get defensive zone starts. It's what you make of it. You see other teams around the league. You know, I, I keep bringing up the Boston Bruins whenever this conversation is had, just in terms of the the offense and their contributions they got from their fourth line. And I think when it comes to the Sabers, right now they're banking on Kruger to get more out of these guys, these these holdovers. That could be the case for some. I mean, I've liked Jurgensen's play in the preseason. I've liked Saboka's play, but it's the preseason, right? And yeah. I thought you needed more skill in the bottom six. They have sort of addressed that with VC coming in. It looks like he might start the season on the third line, but your fourth line can't be a complete zero. And let's face it, the, as much as I really like Kyle Lockposo as a person, I hope he has a bounce back season for his six. I know how much work he puts into it. That contract just makes it extremely difficult to really manage your roster and construct it, pro- construct it properly. That's why you're seeing Tage Thompson go down because I thought you could pretty much probably survive, you know, maybe actually get more out of guys like Jurgensen's Larson if you put somebody like Thompson on the right side of that fourth line. But now it's just probably going to be Ocposo, and you're going to see some of the same struggles that they had a year ago. Yeah, a lot of people probably feel like Lazar or Tage Thompson deserved a spot on this roster over some of those leftover four guys that we just talked about. And I kind of feel like, at least amongst fans, that, that might be a problem. You know what? Well, let's switch gears here real quick. On a scale of 1 to 10, now we're taping this on a Monday. This will be released on Tuesday. The NHL season, Sabre seasons, I should say, starts on Thursday. Scale of 1 to 10, how surprised are you that Rasmus Rissalainen is still on the roster right now? I would say... I'll say a seven. You, it, what made it really difficult, Pat, is the restricting the number of restricted free agents that went unsigned. I mean, the Jets didn't lock up Kyle Connor and Patrick Line until about the past week, and it's really difficult to make a trade this close to the regular season. And it's, at this point, with the Sabers where they're at, all the injuries they have on the back end, I think the Brandon Montour injury really had probably a significant impact in terms of what Botterill wanted and. It didn't help Botterill's case uh, over the summer when Ristolainen talks to a Finnish outlet and it's perceived that he wanted out, that he demanded a trade. You lose your leverage in negotiations. It, it, you really do. And Ristolainen's stock around the league, as much as teams think that there's more there, they're not going to pay uh, a premium price for a defenseman that's struggled that badly in the defensive zone. It's a huge risk, and it's it's a risk they're not willing to pay they're not going to give up the sort of package the Sabres got for even Ryan O'Reilly, in my opinion. It would you would have to sell low, and if you're Botterill, that is a player that you know that I would bank on Kruger getting more out of. I think Chris Lyons could be better under Ralph Kruger. I like the system that they're putting in place to get more out of their defensemen. You've seen even guys like Scandella who have had some of their deficiencies sort of masked by the way that they're playing more zone, the defensive zone. I want to see how that comes together because I think they're playing the defensive zone as, as intriguing of a storyline as we have going into the season. Now the Sabres got down on Monday to 22 healthy players right now, four guys that are injured. They waved Remy Alley, Curtis Lazar, Wilson, Casey Nelson, which mild surprise maybe. And then uh, they assigned to Rochester, Asplin, Tage Thompson, and Lawrence Pilot, of course, who's hurt right now. When you take that into consideration and you go to the four lines that were on Sunday's practice, they're off on Monday. You got Eichel with Reinhardt and Olofsson. That looks pretty solid like that's going to be the first line. And you got Johansson, who's probably going to, obviously is looking like he's going to start this, uh, at center with Skinner on that wing. Who do you think is going to occupy? Because they had Saboka on that wing. Are you, Do you think on Thursday that's going to be Skinner, Johansson, and Saboka? I really do at this point, yeah. Wow. <laughs> because of Because of what? Ralph Kruger loves Vladimir Sabotka. 
He really does. He loves everything that Spoka can do. Spoka can win faceoffs. Uh, he he for, he's really strong in the forecheck. These things aren't really measured in terms of analytics necessarily. And Savoka's certainly not going to contribute much offensively, but that is sort of the line dynamics that they want this season. They want two offensive, I guess, offensively driven players more so than anything with one guy who's very competent defensively. Olsen works on the first line because they really like what he's done with his defensive game. But you look down the rest of the lineup, you're going to see one guy who's really good defensively with two guys or, pretty competent defensively, maybe above average defensively in Kruger's eyes with one guy who's more skilled. So what you're going to have on the third line, BC and middle side with probably Evan Rodriguez on the right wing. Evans, you know, he kills penalties a little bit more smarter. He can sort of mask some of the deficiencies, especially at the middle of the ice. The fourth line though, this is what really confuses me because then you have Giergensen's and, and Larson, two defensively sound guys. And I thought that Thompson would have worked well there, but now you have Ocposo, so you're not going to get much offense at all. So I, in theory, yeah, I get it. I don't think Saboka's going to last on the second line, but and it certainly looks like what they're going to start with. Don't you feel like that's kind of setting Skinner up for like maybe a recipe for at least fans being really pissed off right away? Because I mean, look, you got a guy in Jeff Skinner right now. He scores 40 goals last year. The team backs up the truck, gives him $9 million a year, and he's going into this season with, yeah, free agent acquisition, Marcus Johansson, pretty good player, but hasn't played a lot of center. So you got him at center with Skinner, and then you got Zaboka. I mean, he's a fan whooping boy by the fans for sure. No question about it. Much of it deserved, by the way. And you got him skating with Skinner. Don't you feel like that's going to get under the skin of people really quick, I feel like. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I don't agree with it. I would I would put Skinner and Eichel together on the first line and, and put somebody else on right wing. I don't care if you play Olson on his offside or, you know, hey, put anybody else. Evan Rodriguez, I, I really don't care. Somebody who's at least defensively savvy a little bit on that right side because I think Sam Reiner can drive, can drive play from the right wing on that second line, which would be really helpful for a guy like Marcus Johansson who's going to take time getting used to playing center again. It's not easy. There's some rust there. He acknowledged it. I know Sabres management has seen a little bit of that too. They're excited about the potential there, but let's face it. I mean, you're, you're not maximizing your best with Jeff Skinner, in my opinion. Hey, uh, they're an hockey ops for a reason and I'm a reporter for a reason, but I think there is a better way to construct the lines. It's important to know, and I know the Botterill and Kruger both said this quite a bit, uh, that they're going to be changing the lines up quite a bit over the first month of the season to see who has chemistry. They're going to settle on these for now. I don't think they're going to last very long. I bet you that there's going to be a significant change coming maybe two weeks into the season. That's right around the time last year when Skinner got placed with Eichel. You mentioned Olofsson a few minutes ago. Certainly a very intriguing prospect. How impressed have you been with him over training camp in the preseason? He's so good. And you saw, uh, you saw last year, he was ready for the NHL, you know, towards the end of last season. I don't have any problem keeping him in Rochester until maybe February. I would have brought him up a few weeks sooner, but I really like his play away from the puck. Really good defensive player for check strong. He's really smart, knows where to be. Uh, I think he's a perfect, perfect fit for playing with Jack Eichel. And I know that it's been thrown out there by a couple of news outlets, but if he plays on Eichel's wing for the entire season, Victor Olsen could be a Calder Trophy candidate. And hey, tip of the hat to, to Tim Murray for finding this kid in the seventh round. <laughs> yeah. Because if you can get a co- contributions from a player like that on an entry level deal, that's how you succeed when you're a team like the Sabres that's paying 
two players that could buy $19 million this season. They need more out of younger players. That's how they're going to take a step forward this season. So we'll see. Uh, I, I, I'm really, really impressed. Not only Victor Olsen, the player, but the person. I just like the way he carries himself. You know, very mature, humble, and it, it, he's just the type of player that I think any NHL team wants coming through their system. Let's talk about the defense briefly here. So the last couple preseason games, you had Risa Lannan skating with Darlene. But then at practice on Sunday, you got Darlene with Miller, who a lot of people say that that could be a good pair. And Rissolain is with uh, McCabe. And then you got Scandella and Yokiharu. And for now, it's going to be Gilmore, who's that seventh defenseman. He won that roster spot over Casey Nelson. What are your thoughts on Darlene skating with Miller? Do you like that or would you prefer him with Risto? No, I, I, I like him with Miller. I really liked what I saw in Pittsburgh on Saturday. Miller can can really help. Darlene's going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. It's going to happen almost a little bit more frequently than fans would like. You saw it in Pittsburgh. I think that game was a, a nice snapshot of what you're going to get from Darlene as he learns a new system, as he sort of adjusts to his second year in the NHL. Miller is smart enough and experienced enough to where he knows when he needs to get back. He did a really nice job breaking up a two-on-one when Darlene got caught too far in the offensive zone. And what those two can give you offensively is it's got to be really intriguing at five-on-five with your Ralph Kruger because they need more at five on five play and Ristolainen isn't good enough defensively to play with Dolly. It was a disaster last season. It would be a disaster this season. I think that McCabe is a better fit with him. McCabe's strong defensively. So it's all about sort of matching skill sets. Sure. Uh, until Ristolainen shows that he's improved in the defensive zone, I'm not buying it. I, I think that it'll come, but right now, safe bet Miller guy play in the Stanley cup. I know he's only 26. Look how many games he's played in this league. Second last thing, how are you feeling right now about the goaltending situation? I feel like fans and maybe the media too don't spend enough time talking about goaltending. It's obviously a huge part of any team's success. When it comes to the Buffalo Sabres last year and their goaltending, I don't want to say it was great, but I also don't want to say it was lousy. I would say it was inconsistent. Last year's goaltending, inconsistent. You got Hunt and you got Olmark. How are you feeling about them right now? it's tough to gauge preseason play with goaltending because those guys don't typically start facing shots eh, until August, you know, and it really takes time to get adjusted to game speed when you're facing things. I'm encouraged by both guys uh, from what I've seen. I think Allmark looks a little bit more consistent in his technique. Hutton's been a little shaky at times, but even he's, he's a veteran. And I think that he'll be fine at the start of the season. Well, I want to see those, how are they going to ha- handle high danger chances? Cause that's one thing that, you know, Hutton playing 50 games last year, the most he's played in his career at that point. He struggled, I think, mentally more than anything with just the workload that he was receiving. And I think the, the biggest one of the biggest additions the Sabres made this offseason is, is Mike Bales, the goalie coach. And two Stanley Cup rings with the Penguins worked wonders in Carolina uh, last season. But let's not forget that Bales, it, it took him that second year to get the most out of his goalies. The Sabres probably can't afford to wait that long for, right. for production from, from that group. Botterill didn't have any options. He went He went the previous offseason to grab a goal, the top goalie of free agency, landed Hutton. They like Allmark. At this point, you're seeing what you have. You need to see what you have in Allmark until you know, Uko Pekalukinen is ready. Inconsistent is the word that you use. I, I would agree with you, and it needs to be better. Last question, and then I'm going to let you go. I know how busy you are, especially this week. Season starting on Thursday. Going into this season right now, what are your realistic expectations for this team? Because I don't think anyone expects the Buffalo Sabres to compete with Tampa to have the best record in the NHL. But at the same token, I think it's time to have expectations beyond them being one of the bottom 
you know, three to five teams in the league as well. Where do you put them right now? Uh, I put them right in the middle of the pack. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last season. I don't think they're in the, a playoff team yet. I think in my my preseason predictions that'll be in the paper later this week, I gave them 84 points. So, you know, a little bit of an improvement. I'm not sold on the Florida Panthers yet. That's another team I think that needs more, uh, particularly in the back end, to be a playoff team. I think the Sabres, in my opinion, have a better roster than them right now. You're just banking on a coach. So it's going to be tough at the start of the season. There's no question about it. I think they're going to start slow uh, under Kruger. Uh, you can talk about systems and, or whatever during the preseason, but it doesn't matter. None of it matters until you play real NHL teams when the, the speed of the game gets ramped up a bit at another regular season. I'm optimistic with the roster. It's just that schedule's tough in, in, in October with that game, those games in Sweden. Everything's a little bit condensed. I don't really know how they're going to handle that. So it'll be better. Uh, it's not going to be what fans want, though, of course. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Sure you're right. Good stuff. All right, everyone, give Lance a follow on Twitter at L. Lizowski. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Of course, check out the Buffalo News. And you know what? Make sure you're a subscriber. Support your local hometown newspaper. And again, don't forget, tonight, downtown, TBN building, downtown Buffalo, 6.30 p.m. Hockey preview night with Lance and Mike Harrington. A Q&A, free to subscribers, $10 for anyone else. And, and again, don't pay that $10, man. Just subscribe to the Buffalo News. It's actually cheaper to do that anyway. Free parking, light refreshments. I'm sure it's going to be really good time. Thanks again, Lance. You're doing a really good job, by the way, covering the Sabres, man. Big fan of yours. I appreciate hearing that. I really do. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com all right i am joined right now by jeff boyd another installment of the big boy theory jeff man of many sports media gigs including of course co-host of the 716 sports podcast oh boy what's going on man how you doing I'm good, Pat. You know, it's it's the end of a, a long a long sports day here in Buffalo. I think there's a lot of a lot of mixed emotions here on the end of you know it could have been one of the most exciting days in Buffalo sports recent memory and kind of turned into you know another classic disappointment. Yeah, and I think disappointment might be an understatement. At least it is for me. That's for sure. So we're taping this on Sunday night. This segment of the podcast, anyway. One of the benefits of the episode that I have that drops every Tuesday is that I kind of have time to let the dust settle a little bit on a Buffalo Bills game before I do a reactionary segment on this podcast. But you know what? In this case, I could wait till Monday night, Monday afternoon. We're taping this Sunday night. Doesn't really matter. I'm still going to feel equally as disappointed. And I got to say this too, okay? We'll talk about plenty of this stuff that I'm about to say right now. But one thing, obviously losing the game bothers me the most. Okay, that's obvious. But not far after that, I'm really bothered by going on Twitter 
and Facebook and seeing so many fans, and I get it to an extent, that want to put this loss on so many other things other than Josh Allen. And I'm not going to sit here and have a conversation with you, Jeff, and say this is 100% Josh Allen and nothing else, nothing else contributed to the Buffalo Bills not being 4-0 right now. That's not true. I know it. Other factors contributed for sure. Some people did not have a good game. Guys were not doing their jobs out there, okay? And I don't want to just, you know, sweep that under the rug like none of that happened. Zay Jones, for an example, okay? I'm done with this guy, all right? I don't know. I know he's getting destroyed right now in the media tonight by fans on Sunday night as we're taping this. It's not even that. I just feel like the guy brings nothing to the table. This is his third year. And um, he's so irrelevant to this football team right now. He could get cut on Tuesday, and I don't care. Bring up Duke Williams. Give Foster, I know he was out injured. Give Foster McKenzie. Give one of those guys a bigger role. Andre Roberts. Bring in a guy off the street. At this point, I really don't care. I'm done with Zay Jones. So, yeah, he did nothing. He, he did not help his team whatsoever out there. Lee Smith plays like 30, 35 snaps, and he has four penalties in one game. I mean, come on, man. Seriously. You got to be kidding me. What about... Defensively, New England committed two penalties on defense that would have gave the Bills a first down, not once, but twice they were negated because Deion Dawkins had a holding penalty. He's been pretty good this year, but that's inexcusable. That's terrible. On the other side, Cody Ford, I don't care what anyone tries to tell me, the guy's not a right tackle. At least he's not right now. If you want him on the field that bad, find a way to get him in a guard. I know Feliciano's been playing very well. Get Ford in a guard. Or don't play him at all because he's not a right tackle right now. I think he's hurting the offensive line. Mitch Morris, highest paid center in the NFL. I'm a big fan of his, but you know what? Not a good day for him. Two really bad penalties, including being downfield on a, on a quick screen once, which I just, man, what what are you thinking out there, Mitch Morris? Corey Bajorquez, why is he still on this team? 21-yard punt, that can't happen. And obviously the block punt that was returned for a New England touchdown that ultimately were the game-winning points. Uh, don't get me wrong, that's not on Bojarquez. That's more of a schematic thing. The Bills should have brought a gunner in because New England brought an extra guy to the right that went unblocked. So that's not on him. But you can't be having 21-yard punts. Saran Neal, he's primarily on this team because of special teams, and he has two holding penalties in the same game. T.J. Eldon, I know he put up some good numbers in the second half, but you know what? Make more plays when you're out there. And that trick pass from John Brown in the red zone, if he's stronger, he could have wrestled that ball in. It should have been a touchdown. The Bills should have been leading. So there's many other non-Josh factor, or I'm sorry, Josh Allen things that factored into that loss, okay? That's undeniable. But at the end of the day, here's the bottom line, Jeff. There's 46 active players on each team. So that's 92 players on that sideline. In my opinion, Josh Allen was the worst player on the football field at New Airfield on Sunday. That's why the Bills are not 4-0 right now. I don't know how you feel about that. Do you agree with that? I do agree. I mean, it's a whole different game. And, and even with all the things that you just mentioned happening, even if Josh Allen doesn't take that sack that knocks him out of the red zone, even if he doesn't throw that terrible first down interception down the right sideline, like just take away a couple of those mistakes. And there were five or six just huge red flag mistakes in this game for him. Take away a couple of them, get in the field goal range one more time, and they might still win the game. They, or at least at the very end, all you have to do is drive for a field goal instead of having to drive for a touchdown on that last drive when Barkley's trying to come in cold and rally together a, a drive, which is very difficult to do, especially against them. Not to knock New England's defense. New England's defense has been fantastic this year. The Bills were the first team to score an offensive touchdown against them in four games. But 
this was a waste of an all-time great Buffalo defensive performance. You look at Tom Brady's stat line. If you if you would hand me a piece of paper before today's game kicked off and said the Bills are going to hold Tom Brady to these numbers, I would have been beside myself happy overjoyed the Tom Brady plays a game plays four quarters and puts up those numbers the Buffalo Bills defense deserved so much better than they got and at every opportunity the Buffalo offense and Allen is the conduit for all of it the Buffalo offense just kept digging the hole deeper and the Bills defense kept getting them out of it and then three turnovers three interceptions two fumbles which he didn't lose but two fumbles that you know he had to scramble lose yardage a couple of really bad sacks I mean this is not a perfect you can't play a team like New England play quarterback like that and ever expect to win. I don't care who you've got on the other side. They might have the best defense in the NFL right now here in Buffalo. And it doesn't matter if you can't move the football. It is an offense first league and our offense was absolutely terrible today. It is. And I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty angry about it. And I'll say this. I get why fans want to defend Josh Allen right now. I want to be able to defend him right now, but you can't defend this type of game the way the type of mistakes that he's making. Listen, he's a very physically gifted athlete and a very physically gifted quarterback. But when you look at going all the way back to the preseason, he threw that horrific interception against Detroit. And I don't think it ended up counting. Doesn't matter though. The Jets, the first half, the Cincinnati game in the second half, that picks that, um, not pick six, but that interception and completely turned the game around. And then Sunday against the Patriots, man, you just, you cannot make these types of decisions. And I don't care how young you are. He's going to learn. We're going to, he's going to learn. Well, maybe he's not going to learn. I'm starting to be concerned that the flaw in Josh Allen's game, his decision making process is just becoming a straight up problem. And let me say this, the national people, and I guess local media too, but mainly national people that like to shit all over Josh Allen, that like to pile on him, games like this, give them every ounce of ammunition that they need. No, oh, absolutely. This is exactly what I think a lot of Bills fans were worried that Josh Allen would be. Um, we saw flashes of this at points last year. It flashed a little bit in the first three games too. There were a couple of really questionable decisions he made. The difference is that when you're playing the Bengals or the Giants, you get away with more of them. Today, against this, I mean, it's a Bill Belichick coach team. I know that's a, it's a tired cliche and people in Buffalo are tired of hearing it. It's a well-coached, well-constructed football team that does not allow you to make mistakes. If the Bills had played a clean turnover list game, they might win the football game today. But we sure. saw a couple of moments of classic Josh Allen hero ball. It turns out it, it gets to be third down in eight yards, and he doesn't see something open right away. So he goes scrambling backwards, scrambling to the side, rolling down the right side. I mean, there were none of these. Like, I, there's plays where you, you see a Josh Allen interception and stuff like the one he threw to Beasley in the Jets open. It's like, well, Beasley should have gone down and caught that ball. None of these three interceptions that he threw today are anything less than his fault. There are balls that were thrown into double coverage. There are balls that should have never been thrown. Sometimes you just got to take what you have, even if that's nothing, even if it's just throwing the ball out of bounds or scrambling for two yards to try to set up a slightly better field goal. Situational awareness was just absolutely awful today. And yeah, it, it sucks the way that his day ended, but I don't know that him being on the field for the end would have changed anything because Barkley went out and did about as well as Allen was doing at any point in that game. And yeah, get his arm hit at the end of the game ball pops up for an easy pop fly interception. But Allen was throwing these balls at like the first one, especially and this guy who's supposed to be this great deep ball passer. How many guys did he overthrow today too? Every, every time there was a guy who was behind someone who was five yards past him. He didn't make one single 
good long throw the entire day. In fact, I don't even think he was even close to making one good long throw the entire day. You know, the thing that concerns me with Josh Allen is people who say because of these mistakes that he's making, these mental decisions to force balls that he's going to learn because he's young. Well, he's young. Well, you know what? Uh, Maybe it's just not in his DNA. Guys like Brett Favre and Ken Stabler and so many of these other gunslinging, gambling quarterbacks from the past, I kind of feel like Josh Allen is in that mode a little bit. It's in their DNA. It's how they play football. So to say that these kind of mistakes, he's going to learn from them, not sure that I buy that. If Favre's the name that popped into my head right away when he started mentioning it, and Brett Favre is the guy who I think about with Allen, but the difference is I think Favre was a much better reader of defenses. I think Allen doesn't really know when he can can't take those. Now Favre threw a lot of interceptions. Let's not try to be revisionist history on this year, but I think Favre had a better arm and made better reads a lot of the time than Allen does, at least at this point in his career. And the problem is if you're trying to make some of the throws that guys like Kenny Stabler or Brett Favre made and you have maybe – not as good of an arm as them, you're going to get yourself into a world of trouble. Like yeah. Favre would have overthrown that guy on the first pass. I forgot who he was trying to throw to when both McCordy's caught underneath him. But you're you're make a throw on the run into double coverage five yards in front of the guy. It is you are in a world of trouble in the NFL, especially against a top defense like the Patriots. Yeah, right? and I feel like in part maybe some of those throws didn't get there because he was off balance and thrown off his back. But you know what, a quarterback who. I felt like I was watching during this game, Jay Cutler. And I'm very sure that no Buffalo Bills fan listening to this podcast wants to hear Josh Allen and Jay Cutler associated in the same breath. But that's who I was reminded of. And let me preface this too. I'm not talking end of his career, shitty, bummy ass Jay Cutler with the Miami Dolphins, or even Jay Cutler who kind of mailed in with the Chicago Bears. I'm talking Jay Cutler when he played with Denver, who was a pretty goddamn good quarterback, had a lot of good games, but then he just had some complete mental lapses out there that cost Denver. I kind of feel like that's the way with Josh Allen, and I think you're going to have to learn to live with that because I'm not sure he's going to, quote-unquote, learn how to be a smart quarterback. Sure, he's young, but I again, I, just, I, I say this over and over. I'm going to keep beating this drum. I just think it's in his DNA. Josh Allen has the physical gifts, that will win you a lot of football games because he could do things that few other quarterbacks can do. Conversely, Josh Allen is going to lose you football games because of his mental deficiencies, his decision-making out there. And I feel like against New England today, that really reared its ugly head in a big way. I mean, I, th- I think you, I think, and I hope that he can learn to mitigate this. I don't think it's reasonable to expect that this will ever completely go away. It's just, it's just who he is as a player. He always wants to make the hero ball play, and right. sometimes it's going to work out, and you're going to have your jaw on the floor, like, man, there's like two other quarterbacks in the NFL who can make that throw. We were talking about like that throw he made to Dawson Knox when he's rolling out right, and probably shouldn't have made that throw either, but across his body puts a perfect ball right in front of Knox, and you stand there like, wow, this guy has incredible arm talent. The flip side to that is that sometimes he's going to try to make the same quality of throw and he is not the most accurate passer in the world. Maybe he doesn't get enough on it. Maybe he leaves it a little bit short, gets a little bit wobbly. And there's, I think there will always be, for better or for worse, an element of those kind of mistakes to his game. That doesn't mean that he can't learn from it and be like, okay, sometimes I just got to learn not to do it. You hope that his situational awareness really improves. And he's like, well, I'm up 14. It's right before halftime. I can afford to take this throw versus it's first and 10. We haven't scored all day and I'm rolling right. I'm just going to walk out of bounds for two yards. 
he's just got to know when he can and can't afford. And I think part of it too, is learning which receivers he can and can't rely on. And part of the problem is I don't think they're still utilizing the correct receiving core. And I, I saw, I was reading through some of your, your Twitter thoughts before the game, uh, before I actually, before I came on uh, to do this interview here tonight with you. And I think one thing you nail on the head is they've got to just move on to some extent from Zay Jones. And there's no reason. I know Foster's hurt today. Foster doesn't play, but there's no reason that Zay Jones should be taking Foster or McKenzie or Roberts or even Duke Williams at this point, why those guys shouldn't be getting more snaps than he is at this point. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, if I will throw one bone, one excuse, Josh Allen's way, let's say this, the new England Patriots defense is absolutely amazing right there with Buffalo and Chicago, the very best in the NFL. Josh Allen is not the first talented quarterback that they made look stupid, and he certainly won't be the last. So I will say that much. One other area of Josh Allen's game that's really starting to concern me now and today really made it more evident than ever before beyond the questionable decision. It's not questionable. It's lousy decision-making that he's prone to making at times is the injury. Okay, this guy takes a lot of hits. He runs the ball a lot. He extends a lot of plays with his legs. They run design quarterback plays to him and the hit James Jones had knocked Jonathan Jones. I'm sorry that knocked him out of the game. Dirty hit or not. I don't know. We could debate that. But the point being is he's running the ball and a player like him who plays the way he does, he's very susceptible to getting injured. And that is exactly what happened on Sunday. That scares me. I mean, I think you look around the NFL and there's a great example of a quarterback with a long history of design runs who coach McDermott has a history with who is kind of seeing the long-term effects of that right now. You look at what's going on with Cam Newton in Carolina. He's a guy who runs is physical, has going at guys, they design runs for him. And I think it really does shorten your, your career span. I mean, part of the reason that Tom Brady is able to trot himself out there at 42, it's not that he's not mobile or never runs. But he's a pocket passer. The, the, the shelf life of a pocket passer is significantly longer than that of a dual threat quarterback. There are not many dual threat quarterbacks who get to their, their mid thirties and are still able to, to be mobile. Even the guys who have had a little bit more of time, maybe like a Roethlisberger might be an example of a guy who has some movement capabilities. But if you are out there taking hits like that, and yeah, obviously t- today is a bit of an exception to the kind of hit you may expect your quarterback to take, but you're certainly especially when you're you know, going head first, trying to get first downs, trying to make a play. You're not sliding. You're not just running out of bounds. You are going to take some shots. And if he misses a week, which who knows, he walked off on his own power, went back to the tunnel, but we'll see how he handles the concussion protocol clearance this week. If he misses a week, he missed some time last year with an injury. He would be looking at missing some time this year with an injury. I mean, it's good to have a capable backup, but it does – I it causes some concern when you're trying to build your franchise around this guy and you're going to be taking hits like that. They add up over time too. You might recover from an injury, but it's never really truly a hundred percent gone in a lot of cases. Um, you know, Jeff, um, I know we got other things about this game that we need to talk about. I just really struggle sometimes to be able to move on from some things. And this is definitely one of them. You know, besides the three interceptions, the other thing, too, that really bothers me about Josh Allen is the sacks he took because he didn't need to take them. And they directly costed the team points. One of the sacks he took took them literally out of field goal range. And then a second sack that he took made what should have been a 41, 42-yard field goal become a 49-yard field goal, which 
Hoska ended up missing, which he would not have missed if it would have been seven, eight yards closer. It's just that's six points right there. Ugh. You can't leave him on the board. Yeah, but six points in a game you end up losing by six. That's a huge difference. Exactly. Absolutely, man. It's just, uh, first of all, I hope he's okay, obviously. And I will say this. Maybe it's one silver lining. Don't get me wrong. I would take the victory and all that comes with it. But had the Bills pulled this out with Barkley back there, just imagine if Barkley let him down the field on a game-winning touchdown against New England. As bad as Allen played, you know there would have been. It would have been a minority, but there would have been some noise. Well, maybe Barkley should be starting. Allen's still young, and he's not ready. I don't know if I would have been ready to deal with that shit all week. Because that probably would have happened. It's going to happen anyway. Yeah. I mean, the best throw all day was that one throw to Barkley down the sideline to Brown. Yeah. Well, that was a beautiful throw, but he did have a couple shitty throws as well. The interception, which to be fair, that's definitely not on him. But well, how much can you expect of him coming in in the fourth quarter against New England? So I get it. Let's move on to a couple of other things. I hit on it earlier. Zay Jones, I'm just, listen, I'm over this guy, okay? I'm done with him. I'm not saying he doesn't care, but I just, there's just something that's just not there with him. Not very good compete. On those interceptions, I feel like he could have came back. At least one of the two, anyway, that were thrown towards him that were picked. Could have fought for the ball, and he didn't. I remember another throw. I don't remember if it was Allen or Barkley. I think it might have been Barkley. It was a terrible throw, and it was at his ankles. But you know what? I see receivers all the time drop to their knees, get their hands under, and make a tough catch. He just bent over. He didn't even He didn't even use his legs to try to make the play, get on the ground and make it. I'm just, again, I'm just, I'm over him. I'm done. I feel like. I get it. He was a second round pick, but it just ain't working, man. It's just not working. Give someone else a, a bigger look. Again, Duke Williams coming up. Get someone off the street. At this point, I really don't care. And then Lee Smith. How do you have four penalties in one game? Four. I think it's just a case of a guy who they don't game plan for him being this involved, but Tyler Cross timetable has gotten longer and longer. And yeah. the case of a guy who probably shouldn't get that many snaps is getting a ton of snaps, but hopefully hopefully Croft is back sooner than later, and then he would see significantly reduced play time. Yeah, and he I know they wanted him to help out on the offensive line, which, by the way, the offensive line was just terrible today. They were not good at all. I mentioned some of it earlier in this segment. Deion Dawkins twice nullified would-be Buffalo first downs because of New England defensive penalties with bad holding calls. That's terrible. Mitch Morris had two really bad penalties. Cody Ford... It just, it's not happening at right tackle for him right now. But to be fair, Ty Inseki didn't exactly light it up at right tackle either. So the offensive line, just a terrible effort. Actually, you know what? Hold on. Let me kind of walk that back a little bit at least. The run blocking was good. Frank Gore had some good holes and he played, he had an awesome game. He went over 100 yards. So the run blocking, that aspect was there. But when it came to pass protection, they could not protect Josh Allen or Matt Barkley today to save their life. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of two things. I think, first of all, they were not great today, as you mentioned. But a lot of that kind of diagnosing of what the defense is doing, that comes back to Allen, too. I mean, if there's only three or four guys coming, he should be able to make any adjustments that need to be made at the line. Sure. Now, I'm not saying that he's not making adjustments and people are just missing things, but I, I don't know. They blocked these teams. Are, they were blocking so well on the run. They were just pushing these guys backwards. These are not big guys for New England. Their ends are all like 6'2", 6'3", 250, or 240. 
Yeah. I feel like a little bit of that is just Allen not diagnosing this well, and the Patriots doing a great job good of point. game planning. That was a problem that today. That was a problem today. That's a good point. There were several times where plays were getting in late. I think they might have used two or they get six timeouts in a game. I think they might have used three of them because they got a play in late. And by the time they got to the line, they were down the six, five, six seconds, and they didn't even still they didn't change anything at the line. Barkley had to take a delay game penalty because they were out of timeouts and they got the play in late. So that was definitely. Diagnosing, play, getting plays in and diagnosing them at the line were definitely an issue. And, you know, we can't let special teams slide either because they did play a role as well. Obviously, actually a big role. I mean, that punt block for a touchdown made it 13 nothing. Obviously, that six points ended up being the deciding factor in the game. And you just, if you want to be at a team like the New England Patriots, man, you cannot be giving up block punts for a touchdown. And, I again, I can't put that part specifically on Corey Bohorquez because that was a miscommunication. The gunner should have been in. They had an extra New England figured it out and they brought an extra guy on the right and the bills did not counter. So that's not on the punter, but he did have a 21 yard punt later in the game. And this is what I'm talking about where guys, I feel like they need to, especially these type of players, they need to be accountable. Corey Bohorquez should not be on this roster right now. I can't believe he made it a month into the season. It seemed like a surefire thing that he'd be gone before week one, but yeah, it was it was not good. And if you're a coach in a coaching staff that is building a team on this concept, this grand concept of culture, you feel like accountability has got to be a part of it. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who had a bad game today has to get cut. Sure. But there's got to be some sort of repercussions for some of these guys who are not just not making smart decisions. And whether that's Saran Neal or something like some, there's got to be a talking point. And it feels almost weird to say this about a team that wants to be in one the first month. The Bills are true one the first month. We should all be excited. Right. But the point of it is that this Patriots game means so much more than those other three games combined. That's really like a three game lead up to this moment and it was all great. And then you get to the, the finale and everyone just falls flat on their face. You held the New England Patriots to two plays of greater than 15 yards. Two plays. One of which could have easily been an offensive pass interference call. Right. The other one is just that really nice pass to James. The only play all day where anyone on the Buffalo defense got beat was that play to James White that led to the first touchdown. The rest of the day, they were just which all was a over perfect throw, and that was a beautiful throw. Milano was right there in coverage. He had an arm in between White. It was just a perfect throw and a perfect catch. You're 100 percent right, and you mentioned it, man. If you if you would have told me a month ago the Bills would be three and one after four games. A month ago, I would have jumped at that, and I still would today, but this loss, I don't know. It's just eating at my soul because these are the Patriots, and we know how these games usually go, okay? The Bills show so much hope. There's so much promise. You get to that week, and then they lay an egg. They didn't really lay an egg today, though. This defense, I mean, what more could you get out of them? They hold Tom Brady. I, I'm looking at the stats right now. Tom Brady, 18 of 39 for 150 and an interception. He didn't get sacked, but he was pressured a ton. He didn't get sacked because he was making a concerted effort to throw the ball away. In fact, he had one intentional grounding, and he definitely should have had two. The Patriots only scored 16 points, and all 16 points came on Buffalo turnovers. They only Buffalo's defense only allowed 11 first downs. You mentioned it. Um, only two plays that went more than 15 yards. They only got two first downs in the second entire second half. Usually New England gets up, they put the foot on the gas, they run the ball down our throats, and they put us away. That's what usually happens every year. Did not happen on Sunday. They were only 5 of 18 on third downs. They only had 224 net yards. Buffalo forced nine punts, 
eight three and outs. I mean, God, what more could this defense do? If there was any question that this defense was elite, I feel like those that question's done now. That's gone. Okay, yeah, sure. We beat up on three defensively, I'm talking about. We beat up on three pretty weak teams early in the year. New England's not a very weak team whatsoever. They might not be the New England Patriots of old when it comes to offense, but they're still the New England Patriots. And the Buffalo Bills absolutely owned Tom Brady in that offense today. And that's what makes it so frustrating. Is like If you had just an average game from the offense, you win by two scores. Mediocre like, game. You dominated sure. the game. Yeah. Oh, Tremaine Emmons. How about him, man? You know, there's been talk early on. He's just been... Uh, I don't want to... I don't want to... I don't want to say he's been mediocre, but he hasn't... Uh, he hasn't been like the impact linebacker that we were hoping he would be early on. You know, he's just, he's been out there. He's been all right. He's been all right. Hasn't hurt the team, but he hasn't been nothing special the first three games. I thought you can make a case for me today watching this Bills game against New England that if I had to pick, I don't want to say the MVP because it's hard to pick an MVP from a losing team, but I would say Tremaine Edmonds might have been the best player on the field on Sunday. Do you think so? It was his best game as a pro by a long shot. Um, he was all over the place, getting his hand in passing lanes, just stuffing the run. I felt I saw him making plays more than I've ever seen him make plays in the NFL. It was noticeable, and he was great. It's hard to pick. I think it's hard for me to pick one MVP. I'm, it would be a Bills defensive player, uh, whether it's him or Milano or Hyde or Poyer or even, or Trey White, who you know you panic a little bit when you see him go down in the second half. But thankfully, he's able to come back in and continue to play at a high level. I mean, you Levi, didn't hear Levi Wallace any was really good receivers. too. Yeah, Levi Wallace was mm-hmm. absolutely outstanding. He's another one today. I think what I'm able to take away. From this Bills game, the biggest bright spot following this game is that if there was any speculation that maybe the Bills defense wasn't quite as good as some people are making them out to be because at the end of the day, they did dominate the Jets. They did dominate an Eli Manning New York Giants and they dominated at home their home opener against the Bengals. Defensively, they did so. Those aren't the best offenses in the NFL, okay? So maybe there's a little bit of concern that perhaps this defense isn't quite as good as some people say they are. Well, guess what, man? This Patriots game just ended that because they dominated Tom Brady. They owned him. I think he had his worst quarterback rating that he's had in like 13 years or something like that. This defense is every bit as good as people say it is. Right there with the Patriots again, and the Bears, probably one of the three best defenses in the entire NFL. Oh, no question about it with how they played today, because that is no joke of an offense. I mean, New England's offense has been moving the ball at will. Now, maybe they haven't played the greatest teams either, not the Bills, but they stopped the best quarterback of all time, kept him under 200 yards, turned him over. The Patriots, you won through those stats. The Patriots did nothing offensively. It was dominant. And... This defense, if if this is going to be a playoff team, which it very well is still on track to be, it is going to be a team that is going to ride a great defense there. All the offensive woes, we kind of neglect them a little bit, but I'm not talking about John Brown and Cole Beasley. They did their job, but two guys on offense that I thought had a very good game. One, Frank Gore, goes over 100 yards, over 15,000 for his career. I thought he was outstanding and what a find he turned out to be for the Buffalo Bills. What a good free agent signing that turned out to be. And then the other guy is the rookie tight end, Dawson Knox. He had three catches 
50-something yards today. They need, along with Beasley and Brown, they need a third guy in this offense. I feel like they need to start using Dawson Knox even more than they already are. He is coming along really well for a guy that had no touchdowns in his college career to have the touchdown already, had that huge impact playing in Cincinnati. He had a real nice catch today. He is turning into something special. I think as he continues to develop here this year, he could very well become that number two or number three receiver in terms of yardage on the team. Opens up the middle of the field as well. It takes, takes safeties from being able to cover over the top, which at least you know makes some of those deep shots more palatable because at least there's no double coverage, whether you overthrow the guy or not, at least then the ball to sales and complete versus what happened today, which is the safety coming over the top and you threw a couple of interceptions because of it. But no, he is, he has been good. And I think that he is really just scratching the surface. He is an athletic, incredibly athletic tight end. And I think the more they learn how to use him, the better his route tree becomes, he is going to be something special for the offense. Yeah, I agree. Last two points that I want to make, and then I want to get a final thought from you. When it comes to Josh Allen, I've spent this entire segment pretty much bashing him because honestly, I feel like his play warranted bashing today. Again, I'm not going to keep kitty gloves on when it comes to Josh Allen. You're my franchise quarterback. You play well, I'm going to let you know that. You play bad, I'm going to let you know that. But here's the thing that I like about Josh Allen. He played terrible today, yet I still believe in him. I feel like, and I'm sure a lot of people will disagree and some people who only hear this two two minutes of, of this segment will accuse me of being a homer right now. But I don't give a shit, man. I'm telling you this. I feel like no matter how badly he played, because I feel like this has been his ammo through the first three games of the year. Had he not gotten hurt and had he gotten an opportunity through hook or crook, I don't know what how it would have been with his legs. He would have made some funky throw that they got lucky on. I don't know what it would have been. But I feel like if Josh Allen does not get hurt, I feel like when he had an opportunity in the last four minutes, I feel like he would have took the Bills down the field and they would have won that game. That's my thought on Josh Allen and why I at least still believe in him, at least for the time being, that's how I feel about him. And then the last thing is this. I still feel like coming into this game at 3-0, and I didn't know what to make of this team, if they were for real or not. But now after watching this game, even after a loss, I thought coming into Sunday that the Bills are going to be an AFC wildcard playoff team. And I'm going to tell you what. After this game, I even believe that more now than I did. Even though they lost, I still think that this is a team, when it's all said and done, that could be a wild card team. Not a divisional winner. That's definitely going to go to New England, but I think they could be a wild card team. So when you look at this game or this season or any player or anything like that part about this team right now, what's like your takeaway from this game? What would you consider like your final thought? As frustrated as I am about today, it's I'm frustrated because they've shown signs that this team can really be something. And I haven't been this frustrated about a Bills game in a while because every year you, you walk into a Patriots game, you're like, well, the Patriots are in a different league. You lose by 30 points, you go home, and you're like, well, I can't wait till we're competitive again. Today, this team was competitive, and this is a frustrating game to talk about because it really felt like it was one bounce, one tip, one big play by Allen, and you win that game. Yeah. But I agree with you. I do still think that when you have a defense that is as good as this defense is capable of playing week in and week out, that I really do see this as a team that's going to get to 10 wins and is going to compete for one of those wild cards. And there's, I see this team competing with, it's going to be the Chargers and the Titans, I think, are the two teams that are going to be right up there with them. And I think that that makes next week all the more important. You have one more game before your bye week. You have the Titans team that's you know, it's a little Dr. Beckham, Mr. Hyde with that team, but they pounded Atlanta today. 
The next week, go about take care of business. You can go into your bye week four and one. You can establish yourself with a big win over a team that is in that same kind of threshold as you fighting for those wild card spots. And if this team goes into a bye four and one, as disappointing as today is, it's going to be hard for me to be mad about a four and one Bills team. You can make a strong case with the bye week coming up afterwards. I feel like maybe if Josh Allen's not 100%, if he's only 90%, they might want to wait. So after the bye week, we'll see how that plays out again. We're taping this just late on Sunday night. But last question here, you just hit on this. In some ways, with Buffalo was expected, at least not in maybe not so much in Western New York, but around the league, I feel like people expected the Bills to lose in New England because that's always what happens. Having said that, in some regards, you kind of feel like this game at Tennessee might even be more telling of what type of Buffalo Bills team this is going to be this year then this New England game, assuming that we see Josh Allen out there because I think you can't really tell too much about an offense when you got your second-string quarterback in there. So if Allen's out there, do you think this game against Tennessee might even be more telling of what type of team we're going to have this year than this game that we just watched against New England? I mean, I certainly think that's possible. I mean, today is the low barometer. You always want to throw out the best game and the worst game, and today was by and far the worst offensive game. I think that most people would consider the Patriots to be the odds on favorite to win the Super Bowl. So maybe the Titans are a team that's more in your weight class, if you will. Sure. So maybe you do learn a little bit more about this team. Um, I think you also learn a lot about you, how the season is going to have ups and downs. How do you deal with, you know, they've been riding high. How do you respond to being knocked out of peg? How do you respond to some adversity? It's going to say a lot about the makeup of this team, how well they respond in practice this week, how well they respond in next week's game. If they come out fired up with something to prove, I think this it's a big chance for them to, change the narrative about who they are because if they're going to go out and on the road and play a team that's had a couple good wins, no one can just say, well, they've only beaten bad teams. I think this is your first chance to really establish yourself and get a good quality win and start to get the national media. I mean, after you keep winning games, until someone notices you is all you can do at this point. I think they appreciate their underdog mentality. They take it for what it is, but I do think that next week gives you a chance to really change what everyone's perspective of the bills team is. Listeners out there, give Jeff a follow on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Check out as well the 716 Sports Podcast out on Tuesdays, available on pretty much every major podcasting platform. Thanks a lot, Jeff, as always, for doing this segment. I'm in a bad mood, but, you know, it could have been worse. I'm kind of glad that I at least waited a handful of hours to tape this segment following the Bills game instead of doing it right after because I was... Like in a straight up nasty mood at that point. So anyway, thanks a lot as always, bro. Good job. Oh, of course, happy to be on Ben. Feel a little better getting that out of our system talking about that game, and hopefully next week we have a much better result to talk about. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranalytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, Maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system. Consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. Before I get out of here and call it a day for this episode, there are a couple things that I wanted to hit on that I did not get a chance to earlier in the podcast. First and foremost, baseball. I know it's a rarity that I talk about baseball on this podcast. This is primarily a Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Savers, sports media podcast. So it's a rarity, again, 
when I talk baseball. But the regular season's over. It's playoff time. Playoff baseball is very exciting. It's just as exciting as the playoffs in any other sport. Starts, actually, you're listening to this on Tuesday. So starting tonight, NL wildcard, you got Milwaukee and Washington. That should be a good game. Winner will face the Dodgers. And then you got the Cardinals and the Braves in the other NLCS series. Then on the other side, the American League side, of course, I'm a lifelong Yankees fan. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm rooting for the Yankees to win. They'll be hosting the Minnesota Twins. That's looking good for me in the first round because the Yankees just absolutely, they always own the Minnesota Twins. In the AL wild card on Wednesday, you got Tampa at Oakland. Winner of that will go on to face Houston, who I'm sure, and rightfully so, by the way, is very heavily favored to not only come out of the AL, but win the entire thing, win the World Series. With that pitching rotation that they got of Cole Verlander. God, it's such a crazy pitching staff. Granky. I, it's, it's going to be very difficult to see Houston losing. Anyway, rooting interest that I have for the playoffs, first and foremost, of course, the Yankees. I want the Yankees to win. I'm always going to want the Yankees to win. Secondly, and I looked it up, man. I went all the way back to March, and I actually predicted that the Cardinals were going to win the World Series. And I didn't see anyone else saying that. So I got to stick with that just because, if nothing else, I want to be right. I got the Cardinals beating the Yankees in the World Series. That's what I said back in March, I hope both teams get there, but ultimately I hope the Yankees win. One other thing I have a ruining interest for, and I'm sorry if this offends anyone out there, but I do not want the Tampa Rays, Tampa Rays to beat Oakland and get any home playoff games. One reason why. And it's nothing against the team. I like the Tampa Rays as an organization. They got a bunch of young players. I like their players. I just hate their fans. You are the worst fans in a, maybe all of sports. And I mean that. I don't want to hear any excuses. And I hear so many excuses about the location. Guess what? I live down here in Florida. I've been to the Trop. I know exactly where it is. Is it the greatest area? No, it's not. But you know what? When you're a, a playoff team, they've, the, the Rays have been in a playoff fight pretty much the entire season, okay? The dog days of August, September, they're fighting for a playoff spot. And they can't even draw 9,000 people at the Trop. At least on six or seven different occasions, if you can't get 9,000 people during the regular season to a game, you don't deserve Stay your ass home because you don't deserve to go to a baseball playoff game. So I hope the Rays lose for that reason alone. Take that team. Get them out of there, man. Get them out. Send them to Montreal. Let the Pagulas buy them. Go to China, Hong Kong. I don't care where it is, but I want nothing to do with the Tampa Ray fans ever again deserving to see a home baseball playoff game. Go Yankees. What else we got? Oh, you know what? A big week for wrestling fans. Historic week, actually, for wrestling fans. You know, we had the Monday Night Wars of the 90s, WCW versus WWE. To a lesser extent, kind of got that going again starting this Wednesday. I'm very much, I'm here for it, man. I really am. You got NXT, WWE's product, of course. That's going to be, it actually started a couple weeks ago on USA Network. That's live every Wednesday night now. And... Head-to-head direct competition because the AEW, their show Dynamite, first ever live TV show for AEW. That kicks off on Wednesday. They're going head-to-head, and I'm again, I'm totally here for it. I'm going to give both shows a chance, um, starting kind of from the ground floor, especially in the case of AEW. Now, granted, I know wrestlers like Cody Rhodes, of course, Jericho, Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, John Moxley, some of those guys, but I'm very much looking forward to meeting and learning about new wrestlers that have been around the indie scene, maybe New Japan, stuff like that. 
that I personally don't know much about, if anything about. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they do and how those stories develop. And conversely with NXT, listen, I've been a WWE fan my entire life, but I'm going to be honest, I'm a main roster guy. I don't pay too much attention to NXT. I know a couple of the main guys, but I don't pay a lot of attention to those storylines. And that's going to change, man. I'm very much, I'm all in. And I know that's an AEW term for their pay-per-view, but I am. I'm all in on both these shows, at least to start anyway. I'll watch one, I'll DVR the other, or I'll DVR both of them and watch them at points. And I'm very much looking forward to these storylines and watching the matches and seeing which show I like better. Wrestling competition is great because it brings out the best in both companies. And I think that's going to happen. And I'm, again, I'm very, very excited about it. One other thing too, that's not the only big wrestling news. Of course, Friday night is the premiere of SmackDown on Fox Network TV. No more cable TV for SmackDown. Moving from Tuesday night USA Network to Friday night on Fox. I didn't think the day would ever come where wrestling would get big enough to have its uh have its show on network TV, but that's going to be starting at, on Friday every week. SmackDown on Fox Friday nights. Brock Lesnar is wrestling Kofi Kingston for the WWE Championship on the first show Friday, and I fully expect Brock to win. He's a big name. He'll represent the company well for the network, I'm sure. So I'm very, very excited about watching wrestling this week. If you're a wrestling fan, you're a mark out there like I am. I know you are too. Last thing, I did a football segment earlier with Jeff Boyd, but we had to spend all of our time talking about the Bills-Patriots game, and I didn't get a chance to talk about anything else going on around the league. I want to do that quickly. Actually, let's pivot back and go to the New England Patriots. You know, I don't think anyone's going to argue that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of in NFL history. He's the GOAT. You could hate him as a person, think he's smug, arrogant, whatever you want to say about him. And trust me, most non-Patriots fans feel that way, but you can't deny that he's the best. Having said that, he's not the star of that team anymore. That team is not 4-0 right now and probably going to end up 14-2, if not maybe 15-1 on the season because Tom Brady throws for 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. That's not happening anymore. That team is who they are because of their defense. Absolutely an incredible defense. It kind of reminds me a little bit, not a little bit, actually a lot, of the Peyton Manning era near the end of his career when he was with Denver and they won a Super Bowl. Sure, Peyton Manning was a star. He had his name in the big lights. But in reality, it was the Denver defense that made them champions. And I kind of feel like that's the way it's headed towards with New England right now. Brady's best days are behind him, but he's still going to win because that defense is just absolutely incredible. What else we got going on around the league? Uh, reasons, listen, games are not played on paper, and this is why. Who expected, seriously, coming into Sunday, who expected the sorry-ass Oakland Raiders to go into Indy and beat the Colts on the road? Or even more so, how about Tampa Bay? They lose at home to the New York Giants last week, and then they go to Los Angeles against the undefeated Rams, and they put up 48 on them, a great Rams defense, and they beat them. Just you don't see things like that coming around the NFL, which is why it's so awesome. What else we got? Atlanta, they're dead. Uh, Carolina, man. Kyle Allen, quarterback, Carolina Panthers. They looked dead two weeks ago. Ain't dead no more. Kyle Allen, get it done. Vontae Burfick, complete piece of shit. Get him out of the league. You saw that dirty hit. He needs to be gone. You got the Chiefs. They find a way to win on the road at undefeated Detroit. I mean, Detroit's not the best team in the league, but whatever. They're undefeated and... Mahomes doesn't throw a touchdown, and they still find a way to get it done. I tell you that, clash coming up later this season with New England. Actually, it'll be 
one of two because they're going to face each other again in the AFC Championship game. I don't think I don't think there's any doubt about that. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. You got Miami. They're still tanking. 0-16, very much alive at this point. You got the Houston Texans losing at home. You got the Titans winning on the road. Man, those are two teams that are such big conundrums. You never know what you're going to get with them. You got the Chicago Bears defense. Very elite. One of the best three in the NFL. Again, I've said it earlier in the podcast. Buffalo, New England, Chicago. Those are the three best defenses in the NFL right now. Kirk Cousins, most overpaid player in the NFL. Maybe the most overrated player too. He stinks. He's killing Minnesota out there. Daniel Jones for the Giants. He may never lose a game again. And last but not least, if Drew Brees comes back and he's right, I really think the Saints are the team that's going to come out of the NFC because just like New England, again, because of that defense, man, which, you know, we could get that Super Bowl. New England against New Orleans. Finally, for at least most football fans, a dream matchup. Drew Brees against Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. And sure, they're going to get the marquee. They're going to get the headlines. Their names are going to be in the bright lights. But at the end of the day, those are two legendary quarterbacks that will be in the Super Bowl because of their defenses. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Another one in the books. Big thank you again, Lance Lazowski of the Buffalo News. Also to my buddy, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Coming up on Friday's episode, going to take a little bit of a detour from just straight sports talk. I'm going to have WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo, longtime news anchor, Mary Alice Demler. She's going to be my guest. I am very excited to have a chat with her. Looking forward to that very much. Don't fret, though. There will be plenty of Bills and Sabres and other sports stuff coming on Friday's episode, as always. As well, before I get out of here, I want to ask you guys, man, if listen, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, I hope that you'll go ahead and subscribe to it. When you subscribe, you're going to get new episodes before anyone else does. That's always a benefit of being a subscriber. It's available on iTunes, Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new episodes every Tuesday and every Friday. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Last but not least, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, some sports takes, some pop culture takes, all kinds of stuff like that. Again, at Tweets. Thanks again for listening. Say it all the time. I really mean it. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you that take time out of your day, if not once, sometimes twice a week to listen to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. Appreciate it. Have a good week. Be back. Brand new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.